0: some sort okay yeah um, uh what's up welcome back to the real easy show i'm evan i'm john there we have my buddy thor and so. his grandpa jerry how do you <laughs> do <laughs> i uh, <laughs> i mistakenly thought they were canadian so that's embarrassing <laughs> it's, it's yeah. completely my fault and definitely I feel not that bad nice of a guy <laughs> <about>. <laughs> um anyway so we were talking about uh grandpa jerry being a military brat and that he grew up all over the the U.S. basically, and even in some parts of the different well, of the of another hemisphere.
1: Yeah, I uh, I grew up as a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force, and uh, as I said, I lived in California, Ohio, North Africa, South Dakota, England, Michigan, Nebraska, and then I became a policeman for a couple of years, mm. and then I joined the army and went to Vietnam, and then I so I spent 15 years in the army in korea kansas virginia alabama and then i got out of the army in texas then i got out of the army and came to fort rucker alabama Mm -hmm. and flew for 28 years there at fort rucker as a contract
0: pilot oh wow okay so you've been you've been flying a long time then 42 years (laughs) yeah that's what you said um that's that's kind of the legacy of grandpa jerry from
2: knowing thor's all the crazy stuff that you've done (laughs) all the cool stories (laughs) well you got to live life yeah you got to have fun i remember thor you told me one time didn't you like ride your bike across europe or something when you were like 16
1: Uh, i arrived in. we arrived in england i was 14 and my brother was 16 and the first thing we did was we bought the highest tech bikes you could buy at the time, which was a five-speed derailleur, <laughs> solid steel bike, weighed a ton. Oh, yeah, <laughs> solid steel. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first Easter we were there, we rode from uh, Greenham Common, which is about 60 miles west of London. Uh-huh. We rode those to Dover. And okay. then from Dover, we rode the ferry to Ostend. And then from Ostend, we rode to Brussels, Ghent, Ghent Brussels. Down into Lille, France, and back to Austin oh over, for Easter vacations. How long did that take? That was fourteen days. We did four hundred and eighty miles and fourteen Wow. Days. It was just you two? No, there were six of us.
2: Okay. Do you guys camp or what?
1: No, we stayed in youth hostels. Okay. Well, we stayed yeah, in youth yeah. hostels a little bit. Yeah. Turns out the youth hostels for if you want to have any fun are not fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Usually they want just you, like old. People. Well, they want you there yeah. early. Yeah, and then they want to close the door at ten o'clock, so yeah. you can't go out on the town. Yeah. Hmm. So mostly we slept in train stations and oh, okay, yeah, bus depots. That's cool. <laughs> Try that in America. Yeah, see how gets you. yeah. <laughs> so, <Let's> be homeless. <laughs> you know, if you want to have a couple glasses of wine in the evening or a bottle or two, it's that, kind of on that But a youth hostel.
0: Yeah, dang. <laughs> that's funny.
1: Well, it, it was a different, different Europe in the '60s. Uh, most countries if you could get in the bar they'd serve you yeah they didn't care mm-hmm. so you know uh, w- drinking was never a, a, a an occupation it was just something you did along yeah, with everything for else sure. because it wasn't anything special <laughs> same <You> know, everybody <laughs> could everybody could drink yeah you know uh, the school the dor- I went to a dormitory school an American DOD school mm-hmm. a dormitory school you couldn't have liquor there yeah of course if they couldn't find it you could not have it so yeah but like our cross-country team we would we had a really good cross-country team and we'd run from one pub to the next and have a beer each pub (laughs) (laughs) so you run five miles and have three pints of beer and that was your cross-country training (laughs) (laughs) that's not bad (laughs) yeah we
3: should change the team back (laughs) to (laughs) that shoot we're doing it wrong
1: (laughs) but it was a it was a different time it was a fun time to be in europe my dad was very understanding
3: so you like you told me like you didn't really like talk to it. You just like you're like this is where I'm going and that's it. You know? Well, he,
1: when we got there, he said you guys are going to have fun. You're going to get in trouble. And, you know, you're going to do things, but but enjoy it because you'll never have another chance to do it. So mm-hmm. we didn't have a lot of restrictions in three years in England. I took one trip with my parents to visit some relatives, mm-hmm. and that was the only trip I ever did. But by the time I'd been there three years, uh, when I came back to states, I'd been to Paris eight times and I'd never been there with an adult yeah i'd been to san tropez and uh and the spanish riviera and Mm -hmm. amsterdam rotterdam all over germany all over france and and i'd never traveled with an adult we'd get a two-week like easter vacation Mm you take a wall bag and 25 bucks and go to europe (laughs) (laughs)
2: that's crazy
1: that is cool not a lot of people have that experience like growing up like that different time and and you could do that and people were really good Mm-hmm. the second year we were there we didn't ride bikes we decided to hitchhike Oh so yeah, we sure. hitchhiked we we rode the the dover to calais and then and we got to calais we started hitchhiking and there was four of us and we were going to meet in san tropez uh-huh. my brother and another guy and, and the guy i was going with well <coughs> we split up so you could hitchhike mm-hmm. because you can't hitchhike with four people so we got out south of Paris, just north of Nancy, and uh, there's a big Autobahn or big interstate that runs from there to the to the coast, to mm-hmm. the Marseille. And some guy stopped and picked us up that was towing a sailboat. So we rode in a sailboat from Nancy, France, to Marseille, <laughs> <laughs> sitting in a sailboat and sipping on a bottle of wine and eating French bread. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. How old were you when you were doing that? I was fifteen then. Oh wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you're in you're in Europe. You
2: guys lived there for three years? For three years, yeah. Okay. What about um South
1: Africa? Oh that, I've never no South oh. Dakota. Oh South Dakota. You <laughs> said North, North Africa? North Africa. North, North, oh, Africa. Africa. North oh, Africa. Africa. Oh, we lived in Morocco when I was in oh, okay. how was that? Uh, I was pretty young then. I was first, you no, know, second, third, and fourth grades, I guess, or somewhere right in there. You don't remember uh, that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember it. Uh, we lived at a place called City Slimane. At that time, the United U.S. forces had uh, bomber bases all over North Africa and and Spain because our strategic bomber, the B-52, had not mm-hmm. come online yet. Mm-hmm. So the strategic bomber was a B-47, and it couldn't reach Russia from, mm-hmm. the, from the United States, from CONUS. Okay. So we had bases in Tunis, in, in Morocco, in Algeria, in Turkey, in Spain, where B-47s were that could reach Russia. Mm-hmm. The bases were maintained by a cadre that, like, we were living there. But the jets rotated out of the states every 90 days. Yeah. So they would come over for 90 days, be there, and then they'd go home. Mm-hmm. But we lived in uh, the city of Maine for three years.
2: Okay. So pretty much every spot was about two or three years that you lived. The The up. normal
1: military tour is three years.
2: Okay.
1: And your dad was a pilot as well or no? He was a pilot in World War II, but when he was recalled for the Korean War, he had asthma, so they grounded mm. him, and he became a services officer. He ran, <clears throat> when he retired, he was the uh, chief of services for SAC. He ran all the commissaries, food service, clothing sales, commissaries, PXs, For all the SAC bases in the world.
0: Gotcha. That's pretty cool. Hmm.
1: Kind of an interesting job. Big responsibility. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, obviously, I don't know if it's obvious, but it seems like that would be your motivation for wanting to fly.
1: No, actually, uh, I was a policeman, and I really enjoyed (laughs) being a policeman. Uh And President Nixon got elected, and when he got elected, he canceled all the deferments for firemen and policemen. Mm. So I got a notice from my neighbors that said, we'd like you to go take a physical. So I called them back and said, if I go take this physical, how long can I expect before I get drafted? And they said, oh, a day or two. (laughs) 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 So you didn't want to join. So I joined to go to flight school. Okay. They had a program at that that time called High School to Flight School. Mm -hmm. You could go down to the recruiter and sign up for flight school. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the kudo was that is they would send you to flight school. You get a basic training and then flight school. Mm-hmm. If you flunked out of flight school, you became an infantryman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at that time, they were paying $250 a month to walk up and down mountains in Vietnam, and they were paying $450 a month to fly over the top of them. Yeah. <laughs> hard choice. Yeah, <laughs> not, a, not a real difficult choice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. Huh. And and they, so I they, guess you liked it enough to keep doing it.
1: Yeah, I had taken some flight lessons when I was in high school, and I didn't really care for it. It was fixed-wing stuff. And and I've never found fixed-wing particularly fun to fly. Mm. And uh, my brother was already a helicopter pilot when I joined. He was an instructor in Texas. He'd already been to Vietnam. And when I got in a helicopter the first day, I said, this is is completely different. I love this. Mm. And I did it for 42 years. I mean, every day was fun.
0: That's pretty baller.
1: A helicopter is completely different. It just doesn't want to fly. You got to, <laughs> you got to kind of coats it along all the time. I got you. <laughs> yeah. It's like an animal. Well, they say it's uh, it's a quarter million parts uh, rotating rapidly around
3: an oil leak, looking for
1: a place to fall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: it's a I lot mean, to manage. Yeah, not not even to man- mention like your last like twenty years when you lived in Fort Rucker, you were testing broken helicopters well,
1: so as a test pilot that's kind of what you do with they take them apart and every periodically there's a schedule that you take them completely apart and put them back together and that my my job was to fly them when they were put back together to make mm. sure they work <laughs> they pay you more to do that no everybody that's a maintenance officer i mean that's what they do it's not special that's true i mean okay we have to do periodic maintenance so you have to take all the rotating components apart you have to inspect all those and mm-hmm. you put them, put them back together somebody has to get in there be first and yeah see if it works right <laughs> yeah now hopefully you're well enough trained to notice that maybe that's not working right
0: <laughs> yeah How, uh, uh, 42
1: yeah. years i never had a mechanical failure never had an engine failure or a mechanical failure on a test flight yeah every failure i had was on a regular flight
2: were there any like bad situations with that
1: and I had an aft transmission failure in a Chinook out at Fort Irwin. It was, could have been pretty hairy, but it was I got it on the ground, so it was oh, okay. not an issue. Though there had been one in Germany oh, a couple months prior to that and uh, killed 44 people or a couple oh, of years Jesus. prior to that. Well, so what happened? That escalated. <laughs> well, that one was a forward transmission input bearing failed. And the, the rotors have to be in sync. You get two 60-foot rotor discs that overlap each other mm-hmm. about 23 feet. Yeah. Oh, and when the sync shaft breaks, those run into each other. Mm-hmm. And the third time they run into each other, one of them is going to leave the aircraft. Oof. So you just become a
3: 44,000-pound a lead weight in the sky. I was about yeah, to say, like, yeah.
0: if anything fails like that, it's not like you can glide it. It's yeah, not yeah an it's not like it
3: auto. Well, they do auto-rotate going if you, down, but if they, if they hit, then they won't. Right, if they're, they're gone. yeah, They're not there, then it's yeah. definitely not going. Yeah,
1: every, everybody that flies helicopters, or at least the older guys, learn to do auto-rotations. If the engine quits, it's not a big thing. Okay. You can auto-rotate, and, and with practice, you can put it down, and you can't even tell you've touched the ground. I oh. mean, it's 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 just a skill everybody has gotcha. because you, hmm. if you fly these long enough, especially a single engine one, you're going to have a engine failure. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's just, that makes it's sense, happen. I guess,
1: <laughs> but it's, it's not a big deal and everybody can handle it.
0: That's good. I'm assuming that you have to do like periodic tests to keep, or just as long as you keep flying, you're able to keep your license or whatever. In
1: the army, when you work for the army, you take a, a, what they call a contact ride, which is basic airmanship every year. <laughs> You oh, okay. take a you take an instrument ride every year to ensure that you can fly instrument fly in the clouds safely. Gotcha. And if you're a maintenance pilot, you take a maintenance ride every year. Okay. So you take a three check rides every year.
0: Nice. I'm assuming can they knock them all out in one go, or do you have to? Depends on how bad they want you to go do something. Gotcha.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've had them take a week, and I've had them take 45 minutes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like the government. Inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so have you, are you retired now from that completely, or
1: yeah, I I retired four years, almost four years ago. I was like yeah, be four yeah. years in October, and uh, I just got where I wasn't going to pass the flight physical anymore. I've got uh, oh. adult uh, type two diabetes, and yeah, you, and you can't fly with that. So, okay. I was going to not pass the flight physical. So, but I was already sixty six, so I retired. Gotcha, and I. I've always done woodwork on the side, so now I just do woodwork.
0: Oh, that's dope. I'm assuming you also have a pension through the military and all that.
1: Not through the military. I didn't retire from the Army. Oh, really? I've
3: got a pension through the contractor. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he, d- he doesn't make money doing woodwork. He, his his friend won't let him, or he won't let his friend pay him. <laughs> that's annoying. I just like to do woodwork. But, <laughs> I mean. Just for fun, I guess, yeah. That's a little I, too humble, I feel like. Well. <laughs> no, it's so true. It's what annoying. I really
1: like to do is I do wood turning. I do a, turn a lot of bowls. and. Okay. Stuff. That's cool. Started out with pins and you about to. The 10th pin you make, you've had enough making pins. You could make something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I enjoy that. And then this guy I work with, he uh, he buys, he gets river-recovered cypress. 100, to 100, 200 years ago, when they cut down the massive cypress trees that were in this area, mm-hmm. you can't cut a cypress tree down and let it fall in the water because it just sinks. So what they would do was they would cut the cypress tree. They'd wring it and let it stand for three or four years dead mm-hmm. until it would dry out. Okay. And then they'd cut the tree down and float it to the mill. Well, there's a percentage of those that sunk anyway. <laughs> and they're still in the river, and that's what they're recovering. Uh. So they, they get these logs out. Some of them, the biggest one I've seen was uh, 78 inches across. Oh, 20, wow. 20-some 20 feet long. <laughs> and they cut these run them through a sawmill and cut them in about three-inch slabs Mm -hmm. and make tables out of them. We did one table that the University of Georgia at Tifton certified that the log was 900 years old when it was cut down.
0: Hmm. Oh, my God.
1: And then another 200 years in the water. So the table we made out of this, or that Steve made out of this, is uh, 1,100 years old. Hmm. And he does everything with handwork. There is no metal holding any of this together. It's all and tenon joining. So it's high-end stuff because when you get one of these, Mm -hmm. you've absolutely got the only one in the world. Yeah. There's never never another slab like that, and every base that we make is slightly different. Mm -hmm. So it's... You can't uh, mess up either. (laughs) No, these slabs, before we touch them, are about $2,000. Huh. Jeez. (laughs) And some of them look pretty ragged. Yeah. (laughs) Wow.
0: I'm assuming, like, there's... They're not rotted necessarily, but because I've had a table or not, I've not personally had one, but I've seen a table that's made out of like a redwood, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pretty like you couldn't like write something on it.
1: No, no, these are absolutely. When we're done with them, they're glass smooth. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Oh, okay, so that's cool. We uh, do the one we had was not. <laughs> if
1: if it's raw, ro- if we have rotted sections, we'll cut that out and in inlay walnut or something in it. Gotcha. Uh, hmm. if it's if it's pecky, like some cypress gets, we'll fill that with a a product that's called Alumalite. Okay. That that you can, it's a acrylic fill-in. Gotcha. So I think
0: I've seen. Some people making that on the internet. So we, like uh, we,
1: the big thing is that we do is the bottoms are really unique because we uh, hand handcraft those bottoms. That's really cool. It's called a hayrick bottom. It's and I say they're really unique.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, you literally can't recreate it unless you have yeah.
1: <laughs> access to that wood. Well, obviously, it's pretty popular. He's got about a two and a half, three year waiting list.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> How
2: much does like one of the tables go for? I don't really get into that much. I think. <laughs> I, because I'm not making
1: any money, yeah. That, so <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, I don't stand around and ask him how much. I know that I've seen some that he sold anywhere from five to eight thousand.
0: Hmm. But yeah. I've
1: seen some that I know one that we're eventually going to do that's going to be like twenty three thousand.
0: Huh. Jesus, that's
2: crazy.
1: <laughs> but uh, you know that's his business. I'm 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 just there to help spend yeah. time because otherwise I'm at home bothering somebody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where do you live now? Enterprise. Okay. So, they, did they find all that wood in Enterprise? Is that?
1: No, it all comes out of the Apalachicola River uh-huh. uh, or with the rivers in Georgia because you can't legally take a log out of a river in Alabama.
0: Mm, interesting <laughs> laws, man. If <laughs> you, you find a
1: sunken log in a river in Alabama, you cannot take that log out. It's a $5,000 fine to take that log. Oof. Now, if the river floods and it washes up onto your property... And then the water goes down. Then you can have it. Huh. Florida sells a permit to harvest these logs.
2: Mm. So in Alabama, there's not even a permit to get nope. them.
1: Wow. So the and there's only a few sawmills that can handle these big pieces. Mm-hmm. But the the guys that go out, they have specially modified pontoon boats and divers that go down and they they latch hold of these and pull them up because they're tremendously heavy. Hmm. I'll bet. Yeah. And uh, and bring them to the sawmills. There's there's uh, a sawmill down in florida we work with this guy named adley bruner and then there's a guy in uh, iron city georgia the cross saw miller the two best that i've seen mm-hmm. and they can handle that big stuff
0: that's really cool it's, uh, that's one of those things i never really thought about but somebody's got to be doing it making those tables yeah i mean like i said i've seen one but i've never never thought about the process that would go into making it
1: yeah, I mean, when you take a piece of wood that's been in the water for 200 years, and yeah. you turn it into a smooth, finished, lovely textured dining room table, there's a lot of work in that, a lot of yeah. steps. It's pretty and, cool. And then we've done some out of river-recovered pine. Okay. Pine, when it sets in the water, it turns into fat lighter. Do you know what fat lighter is? Yeah. It's, the, it's pine that's impregnated with sap. Oh. So everything gets leached out except the, the sap in the wood. And it's really, really heavy and dense. Gotcha. And it's so gummy because of the of the rosin in it that mm-hmm. you can't even sand it. Mm-hmm. If you put a sander on it, you have to have alcohol mm-hmm. on the wood before you put the sander on it to keep a slurry. If you let the alcohol dry out, it just your sandpaper just turns into a brick. It just gums it up instantly. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that's nutty (laughs) yeah (laughs) gotta change your entire process just based on that one thing
1: yeah
3: Yeah, it's pretty crazy like growing up around all that stuff so
0: just well
1: my brother was a helicopter pilot and uh, my older brother was an air
0: traffic controller for a while you don't hear a lot of good things about that job. I, I, I mean, you only hear basically that it's the most stressful thing you can think of, and that you, you wouldn't know, want. I, to I do don't
1: it. really think it's any more stressful than anything else. People that that run around yelling about stress, they got a weak head to start with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, life is life is stressful. Get over it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a fair point. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> You're, if you if you do your training, it's like anything else. Like what I did, it's everybody says, "Oh, that looks terribly stressful." Well, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's enjoyable because I know what I'm doing. And, yeah, you're you know, prepared for it. I'm prepared for it. If you're an air traffic controller and you don't know how to control airplanes, <laughs> you're probably a little stressed. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> can see that. That's true. <laughs> Maybe they're just bad at the job. But just you know, just think about the guy up there. You know, if you if you if the air traffic controller flies him into a mountain, he <laughs> the air traffic controller gets three weeks off for. Because he's stressed. The, the pilot's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and he killed a whole plane full yeah. of people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk about stress. Yeah, yeah you know, right. The guy up there's got the stress. <laughs> but the guy down here. <laughs>
0: uh, never thought about it like that. Um, yeah, so where were you going with that? Your brother, you were saying your brother's
1: both. No, I just, that's my, my whole family had to do with aviation.
0: Gotcha. And you, did you want to stray away from it basically? And like, you just found that outlet in wood working?
1: No, I've always done woodworking on the side. Oh, okay. My dad, like I said, my dad was in the Air Force for for 30 years, 26 years, and then he retired and went to South Dakota and became a farmer.
2: Yeah, don't you guys go up there like once a year and get a whole cow or something? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, Uh, actually,
1: I do because the beef is better up there. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. uh, (laughs) My dad was and mom were from a little town called Martin, South Dakota. It's about eleven hundred people. Uh It's been eleven hundred people since nineteen twenties. Yeah, because if if you have more than two kids, one of them's got to leave town. That's just (laughs) all there is to it. Yeah, there's not not, enough jobs for anybody else. It's not like it's not like the South that keep the family real tight. Yeah, (laughs) and uh, and dad went back up there and bought my grandfather's farm and and, in farm was gentleman farmer for his last 40 years
3: mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he lived in he lived inside the town though so well not when he started He with,
1: they had the farm to start with
3: yeah
1: and uh my grandparents were farmers uh my uh grandparent on my mother's side came from sweden mm-hmm. he immigrated right before world war one came through the uh, port of Huron and then uh he served with Pershing's, Blackjack Pershing's infantry in World War One, mm-hmm. and my other grandfather, his, uh, his, he and three brothers came over. No, his father and two other brothers came over from England, and their father was an itinerant <coughs> Pentecostal preacher in England. <laughs> 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 and uh, and then my grandfather, he was a, a farmer storekeeper, mm-hmm. rancher, his whole life, too. So Yeah. Kind of come from that agricultural background. Yeah. I have one uncle that was a lifelong dairyman. At one time, when I was, matter of fact, when I was born, uh, my dad had had got out of the Air Force after World War II. Mm-hmm. And he was working at IMOLA, the state mental institution in Napa, California, as the head cook. Mm. My mother worked as the secretary to the administrator of the state mental institution at IMOLA. mm mm-hmm. My uncle ran the dairy at the state mental institution, <laughs> and my grandfather ran the hog ranch at the state mental institution. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we had a lot of experience with people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then the rest of your family was in the state mental <laughs> There were some of them that probably should Yeah, have <laughs> yeah we got it. That's funny.
1: And I was born on the hog ranch at the state mental institution. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Just Born out in the field, no, a place called Spencer Ranch. I was born on the front porch. <laughs>
0: that's great. Were they trying to leave or they just wanted to do it on the front porch? Well, they
1: just didn't get to town. Gotcha, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it was back then, I'm sure. Man, that's how it was back then. <laughs> so, uh, now
0: people do it on purpose. They're like, now we're gonna do it in the house instead yeah. of doing it in the yeah. hospital. Yeah,
1: the, there probably wasn't a lot of difference in those days between the house and the hospital. Oh, I, yeah, I understand, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, <laughs> uh, and then my uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, like I say, he came over from Sweden, and he uh, he was a very very good man. He's World War One. He was a fifty-eight year American Legion member. Mm. He was a thirty-third degree Mason. He spent twenty-six years in the state legislature in South Dakota. a Very successful man. And as soon as you got him excited, he couldn't speak English. (laughs) (laughs) Go go right back to Swede. (laughs)
0: That's funny. That accent's hard to break. I know some some Swedes, and they... uh it's really tough to get them to speak true English. Like they're just really bad. Yeah. at it. Oh yeah, Well yeah, I
3: was hanging out with them last night. Like a couple, not your Swedes, obviously, but <laughs> my Swedes <laughs> friends. Yeah, they they don't speak very good English. Yeah. <laughs> they it's get, whenever they get excited or too drunk or whatever, they, <laughs> you know, there it goes.
1: Uh, well, the, my
3: my aviation career was I I thoroughly
1: enjoyed it. I came out back from Vietnam. I was in Vietnam, and in those days, when you went to Vietnam. As a helicopter pilot, as soon as you serve your 12 months, you could get out. So when when you came back to SeaTac, which is Seattle, Tacoma, Washington, when you got to the airport, you were a civilian. Yeah. Unless you asked to stay in. Mm -hmm. Well, I had asked to stay in, but I had never had a reply. So I was still in Vietnam. I was down to like 10 days left before I was supposed to come home. and I didn't know if I was going to be a civilian or what when I got back. So... I called the army at Washington mm. and they said, Well, we've been waiting for you to call. <clears throat> I said, You gotta be kidding. I'm a W one. That's the lowest rank you can be in the war in the officer grade. Uh-huh. In Vietnam, I don't normally call headquarters to yeah. find out what you're gonna do with me. Yeah. And they said, well, we were, we were waiting for you to call to see what you wanted to do. And I said, well, I want to go to AMOC, which is the Army Aviation Maintenance Officers Course. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, you can't go to AMOC. you got to have four years in service and 2,000 hours and all these requirements. And I said, mm. yeah, damn. I said, well, where can I go? And they said, well, you can go to Fort Hood, Fort Bragg, Fort Knox, Fort Campbell. Yeah, I don't want to go to <laughs> <laughs> I said, I want to go to AMOC. Yeah, can't go to AMOC. I said, well. Can I go to Fort Riley, Kansas? Uh-huh. And the guy said, would you like a mock in route? So right away, I knew that I had picked a winner. <laughs> if anybody wants to go to Fort Riley, they'll give you anything you want.
3: <laughs> yeah, because Kansas sucks. Uh, no, talking about Kansas. Yeah, no, no. I, there's, Kansas has come up on this podcast like 12 times, and I don't think anybody's agreed that Kansas is good. So bad. I hate Kansas so there, much. There's only one place
1: longer and flatter than Kansas, and that's West Texas.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, don't hear much about west texas well, when,
1: you, when you cross on i-10 when you cross into texas it says el paso 954 miles Jesus and Christ. they're not kidding it's <laughs> <laughs> unfathomable you can drive forever <laughs> yeah. yeah that sucks <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I have landed out in el pa- in uh, pecos county texas in an aircraft in a helicopter the wind was so strong that I couldn't fly from Pecos to El Paso, which is an hour and a half flight. Mm-hmm. Did not have enough gas on board to make it. <laughs> Had to wait for the sun to set for the wind to go down so you could make it across. The- oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> it's,
0: That's
3: crazy. It's really bad out there.
0: <laughs> just uh, nothing blocking it, I guess.
3: There's nothing out there, yeah. it's just desert. Yeah, Every time y'all brought that up, I was like, I was in the car. I was like, yeah, fuck Kansas. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, somebody else knows. Uh, so I mean, Evan knew because well, well, it did the job. <laughs> yeah. From Fort Riley
1: to the west Kansas border is 480 miles or something like that. And mm. there's like six towns. Oof. <sighs> Let's see. If you leave Fort Riley, you got Salina, Hayes, Russell, Scott's Bluff. Four.
0: <laughs> it's not <laughs> not a lot
1: i had a trooper that worked for me at fort riley he was driving his motorcycle out there and he was running down that interstate at about 100 mile an hour and the state trooper jumped on him. well he was from back east hmm. when a state trooper jumps on you back east mm-hmm. you get off the interstate and get on the back roads and you know it's all twisty and turning. you lose them yeah so he jumped off the interstate and they run him to ground in about two miles, because hell, it's square. They can, <laughs> one, they can see they it. They can see it. <laughs> 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 Everything is laid out in square miles, and they can see ten of them from where. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I've gotten a speeding ticket in Kansas. You couldn't run
1: from them there if you for wanted their, to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes
2: me hate it even more. <laughs> you got like you have a lot of tickets or pullovers. I have three, three <laughs> tickets, tickets, and like. I think like eleven pullovers. <laughs> That's not good. It's insane. It's a good ratio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you I, it mean, it. I mean statistically, I Statist- guess. I mean,
1: just give them the old smile.
3: And get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I did a blood run out there when I was a policeman in Nebraska, and I went from Omaha to uh, what is a blood run? We had a bit, real bad accident out at Grand Island. Okay, and they were. I was ferrying. I was a police officer, and I was ferrying blood out to the hospital out there. Oh. Um, mm. So they came down and, and I, you know, I got the big box of blood in the cruiser, and I hit the interstate out there. And they said, just put it to whatever it'll take, and the state troopers will run interference. So I was running about 140 miles from Omaha to. to Dang. Grand Island. It was, was fun. <laughs> 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 got to be State, awesome. State troopers in front of you. Yeah, moving traffic out. That's pretty
2: awesome. Oh man, that, that's the dream. Yeah, yeah that's the so choice. Cool. You're like, oh yeah,
3: I'll do this. I got you guys. American
2: <laughs> auto bond.
0: <laughs> American. That'd be cool actually. Yeah, It'd we be. we need one but of those.
1: It, it's nothing to compare to flying
3: a helicopter low level. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I bet that'd be insane. I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How fast can a helicopter that you would fly go? The
1: uh, well, I, I fly a lot of them, but the, okay. the Chinook is is uh, mm-hmm. VNE velocity never exceed is 170 knots. Okay, that's about 210 or 15 miles an hour. That ain't bad. And when you put it down about 10 feet off the ground, yeah, <laughs> <You> <laughs> really feel really, it. it. It's really impressive. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really fun when you can fly down an interstate. <laughs> oh my god. With your landing lights on, everybody's <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> coming out of That's pretty funny. Yeah, I flew uh I flew fifty eights, which is the small uh scout aircraft. Uh flew A's and C's of those. I flew Hueys, all models of Hueys, mm. flew Cobras, all models of Cobras, sixties, uh H threes, Apaches, and Chinooks.
0: Gotcha. Hmm.
1: And like flying them all, but the the Chinook is a lot of fun. It's a big airplane. Okay, weighs about thirty two thousand empty, with just the crew and fuel.
0: How how does that compare to, say, like a Blackhawk or something?
1: A Blackhawk weighs about uh, max gross, on, I'm not real sure on this. Max gross is I'd like uh, twenty five thousand. Okay, a, so a lot bigger. Uh, yeah, max gross on a Chinook's fifty. Okay, and wow. A, yeah. And we fly some special ops aircraft under a special airworthiness release up to 54 Mm. apaches are like
2: the the signature ones right they're
1: They're, in all like all the movies and stuff yeah they're they're very fast they're 174 175 knot aircraft Hmm. they'll do 200 plus in a dive they're fully aerobatic they got a semi-rigid rotor system on Mm -hmm. them so you can loop them and roll them and
0: wow do you ever do that (laughs) uh I'm assuming you did as a test pilot. Maybe not.
1: You're not supposed to do that. It's not authorized.
3: (laughs) That's a very carefully (laughs) scripted answer. Well,
1: that's like when the OH-58 first came out. The very first ones after Vietnam. Someone not had put it at a 100-degree angle of bank was the bank limit in that thing. Well, when you took put one at a 100-degree angle of bank, you're looking down through the, through the rotor system of the ground, and it's not fun. Uh, you'll only do it one time. Yeah,
0: yeah. That is, yeah, But, just, yeah, the the,
1: the the Apache is pretty much
0: aerodynamic. That's pretty cool. It, it will it will do.
1: I've flown with the factory pilots yeah. out at Mesa, and they've oh, okay. done the loops, the rolls. Oh, yeah. They've they done it because they, they're authorized to do that. Mm-hmm there's i'm a, i'm i was a maintenance test pilot those guys are what's called experimental test pilots mm. oh. they go through another school at pax river maryland patuxent river maryland mm-hmm. that's run by the navy mm-hmm. and that's a year long school to learn to be an experimental test pilot Hmm. And these are the guys that when they make the first airplane, the prototype of the very first aircraft, and it's never been off the ground, Mm -hmm. this is the guy. You give him a book that says how you think it's going to work and say, see how that works. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's pretty brave to to do that. So those are the guys that – that's the Chuck Yeager guys. Uh He's – the guys like Yeager, they went through the Air Force – experimental test pilot school which is at edwards air force base Mm -hmm. they're for fixed wing guys and we have one for rotary wing guys for helicopter guys but Mm -hmm. those guys they're engineering test pilots and a lot of their school is learning how to to do timed inputs so what does it do if you move the the cyclic forward one inch for one second Mm -hmm. and back Mm -hmm or two inches for one second. And that can get pretty hairy. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go down and write the report about how it operated. Yeah. So it's, uh, those guys are, you know, some of those guys work some real on the edge stuff. Yeah.
0: Huh. It sounds like a programmer almost, but with a lot more stakes. Yeah. (laughs) Your life is in the But I worked,
1: I worked kind of the edge of a lot of that stuff because I worked at the Army Aviation Technical Test Center. And, uh, when we were out, a lot of times I flew with the XPs. They were doing stuff in their in their realm, mm-hmm. not opening the flight envelope, but just test stuff. So yeah. I flew a lot with those guys. Okay. Some of it's just hours and hours of boredom. Hmm. I mean, when you're setting up an antenna for an aircraft, uh, you're an electronics guy, you might know this, but an <laughs> antenna radiates out from an aircraft, and when it receives, it receives in an envelope. Mm-hmm. So you have to establish what that radiation pattern out looks like and what the receiving pattern looks like coming in to, mm-hmm. pull, to place the antenna optimally on the aircraft.
0: Right. Because
1: okay. if you put it in the wrong spot, you can't talk to anybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing that, like on the we were doing it on the F model Chinook when it first came out, uh, I spent weeks at uh, uh, Lakehurst, New Jersey, at a 200-foot hover 30 miles out doing 10-degree pedal turns all day long (laughs) for days. I mean, it's barely boring, but it's stuff that has to be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of nitty-gritty to that. Like, I feel like most people don't, like, if they think about (sighs) – The thing, something that you would do if they just heard what you did, maintenance test pilot, they'd be like, oh, so you just fly it, make sure it works, and then bring it back down. But that's probably not, no. like, 90% of the job isn't that. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, when you take them apart, there's procedures. I mean, we've, we've been at this for a long time, so there's procedures that we gotcha. do. And we have a, an MTF, a maintenance test flight manual, and it goes through step-by-step step what everything in the aircraft is supposed to do when you activate it. Hmm. Then we go down through that list for every flight and check it.
0: Yeah, I heard something interesting about checklists for flying. I can't remember what plane it was. Somebody had just come out with this huge bomber. It was like a, it was called like the fleet in the sky or something like that. I can't remember the name of it, but I was just listening to a podcast about it, and uh, when they first tried to fly it. It went up three hundred something feet or whatever and then it just immediately tanked and just killed everybody on board. And so then what that what had happened was they had forgotten to turn something on yep. that would usually be on the outside of the plane, but for this plane it was on the inside. But they had been testing it for months, but it was like the grand release or whatever, so they forgot to turn it on and then it just it never actually caught and they never got they would never went anywhere. Yeah. And well, so then they started doing these checklists like you're saying, like pre flight checklists and all this, so I'm sure that's Well,
1: like uh, a simple thing that you do is is called a DD-250. And that's when you sign, you buy the airplane from, uh, uh, in the case of Chinook, from Boeing Mm -hmm. at at Philadelphia. You go up there and you do an, we have pilots that are stationed there that do the acceptance flight on this. This is a glass cockpit. It's got hundreds of switches. Mm. It's got hundreds of layers in the architecture of the glass cockpits. So this switch will lead you to this screen, which mm. you touch this, and it leads you to that screen. Gotcha. <clears throat> Those guys spend weeks on every aircraft because they have to make sure every switch,
3: when you push it, does exactly, does the exactly, right exactly thing. what it. Mm. Oh, man. It's, yeah, it's tedious. mind-numbing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so it's like whenever you fly, it's like flying like a giant iPad. <laughs> the the F model is. You can uh, you can take an I,
1: uh, F model. You can sit down on a laptop computer with the program in it. You can plan a flight where you take off uh, from point A, fly to point B, drop off so many people, pick up so much cargo, fly to C, D, E, pick up gas it over here. You mm-hmm. can program all that in there, go out and drop it into the aircraft and, and pick it up to a hover and push flight plan activate and it'll go do that.
0: Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's cool.
1: And if you tell it what time you want it to be at each checkpoint, it will it will establish an airspeed to get itself at that point. So huh. That's
0: pretty awesome. Dang. <laughs> it's like a Tesla in the sky. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty impressive. How it's new cool. is that in terms of like a technology? It's well,
1: pretty state of the art right now. Okay. And they've got you got moving maps on it so you can see it shows you it's got a little cursor on the map, it moves, it shows you where you're at all the time. That's cool. You know, when I first started flying, you had a sheet of paper in your hand. It was a map, and your greasy finger was where you were at. <laughs> <laughs> you felt like a pirate out there up in the sky, <laughs> on a sailboat. <laughs> well, and when you go to places like Vietnam, and uh, there wasn't many man-made features, there was no lights. Oh wow! Uh, uh, yeah. Very few roads, no uh-huh. power lines. So you had to be able to read terrain. That's crazy. Yeah. You had uh, to be yeah. able to really read a map. Huh. Uh, my experience was when I went to honduras t d y later on we had some young pilots that were not Vietnam guys mm-hmm. and Honduras is like Vietnam. there's no lights and roads and stuff, mm-hmm. and the first thing they did was get lost yeah damn kids you gotta get that greasy, gotta get that greasy finger out yeah where you're at <laughs> that's
0: funny, yeah, I'm sure that skill isn't. Anywhere close to as necessary now, even for a pilot, like I'm sure. I mean, maybe they do it We We teach it but.
1: because if all of that stuff, you know, you've got all this state-of-the-art stuff on these new helicopters. Yeah. The Apache's got this same stuff. It'll do all this fancy, especially the E model. I mean, it's really, really super nice. But one bullet through a, an avionics component. Okay, and then it doesn't work. And you're back to a vanilla airplane, you know, a, yeah. three sticks or two sticks and pedals. So Yeah.
0: I guess so you definitely have to know it
1: yeah you have to know the the apache is an amazing aircraft it it's uh, the 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 backseater the pilot he uh, he's normally he has what's called a PNVs which is a turret that sits on the top nose of the aircraft and that's slave to his eye hats helmet to his helmet he's got a little 1 inch oh. TV screen in front of his right eye Oof. so at night he's looking at night vision IR through there
0: that's so, awesome.
1: So he's got an infrared, and when he, when they're out shooting, looking for targets, he has control normally of the thirty millimeter on the bottom of the aircraft, hmm. and it will it will slew one hundred and twenty degrees off of center. That's so boring. wherever his reticle's looking, yeah. that's where he's shooting. The gun is looking.
0: That's crazy. That's oh, cool. Man. That's like a video game. Wow. And, and if sick. he's
1: moving when he does it, it will compute. The, uh, the the lead and lag everything. that's and awesome. The angle,
0: huh? That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> the front seater he he has the Tad's Pimvis turret, which is the big one below that. Oh, and yeah. it's got a day side and a night side. If he's flying mm-hmm. night side, he's IR also. If he's flying day side, he's got a twelve power telescope that he can look through, <laughs> so he can look you right in the eye. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's the caliber on that gun? That's like that's the, a... the
1: the main gun is a thirty cal. Okay, six hundred fifty rounds a minute. Jesus Christ! Christ. Six <laughs> hundred fifty rounds a minute of HE, fifteen meter burst radius on each bullet. Then he bet it's it's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Those <laughs> are the, intimidating looking aircraft. And the Hellfire missiles that they carry are laser designated. Hmm. So, when you designate a target with your laser out of your tads. There's a, a seeker on the hellfire that sees that laser energy, and once it tells you it sees it, now it knows where it's going, and when you launch it, that's where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so cool. Damn. And it's going to get there real quick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> It's a missile. <laughs> that's insane. How many do they carry? Uh, they can carry 16. Okay. Normally they carry some 2.75 rockets for anti-personnel, and then some hellfires. Jesus. Because you can put either one on there.
0: So that's what's considered an attack helicopter. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: the only, its only purpose in life is to attack. Uh, yeah. Uh, you'll see some, some stuff on TV once in a while where they talk about the Apache. Mm-hmm. It opened up the corridor into Baghdad at mm-hmm. the start of the desert storm. Baghdad was ringed by radar sites, and mm-hmm. they went in with the Apaches. You can fire these things from five miles away. So you can't even hear a helicopter hovering five miles away. Yeah. and they put hellfires in the doors of the trailers of these oh radar god. sites. Matter of fact, there's one video that they show her once in a while. This guy sees you see him running across, opens the door, runs in the door, and a hellfire missile goes. Oh <laughs> my <laughs> god! Oh my! <laughs> That's Jeez. crazy. But they opened up that corridor and and the whole. Light up the sky thing that happened in Baghdad was because Uh the Apaches went in there and shot all those radars down, and they were never detected. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can put a Hellfire missile in a guy's in a garbage can at uh, at five
3: miles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's specific.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's awfully a little a little extra. And it's it's possible, uh, man. It's coming in at
1: very fast. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna. It do some the, damage.
1: It, it's a rocket, but its this flight is not straight. It it does a parabolic arc. It comes up and then it goes straight back. And then it. it looks down and it looks down for laser energy. So when you fire one, Jesus. you 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 designate it, and you can fire it without designating, and it'll climb up. Okay, and then and, you designate. And it looks down, and it's got a laser coat in it, and. After so many seconds in flight, it'll tell you to illuminate the target. You squeeze the trigger, and light the target, and oh it goes right God. to it.
0: That's so cool. Hmm.
1: It's called a low all low owl or a low ball lock on before launch or lock on after launch. Gotcha. I'm guessing,
0: does that help with, like, keeping your position secured? So, like, if, if, if you're, like, if you're five miles out, they won't know where it came from?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a really well-trained crew we found in Desert Storm can have as many as three hellfires in the air at the same time. That's pretty awesome. On, when they're shooting them way out there. Does
0: that take a lot of coordination? Like, does the same person launch it and designate? Yeah. Okay. Well, then that's probably not. I mean, but.
1: Well, it, and again, we have other capabilities now with the 58D. Mm-hmm. He can be over there five miles to your right, and he can say, I've got a target, and he oh. can give you an azimuth. You can put a missile put the in the missile air, out, and, then he designates and he'll designate it. it with his laser. That's pretty uh-huh. cool. So the Apache pilot can actually launch one and never see the target. That's we crazy. don't do that very often, but it's it just seems a, a little cool. hairy. Yeah. Huh. You also have the capability of a guy on the ground to have what's called a glid. Okay. You can illuminate a target with a handheld laser as long as the code I matches. i be pretty nervous
0: they're... about that. <laughs> if it followed you all the way back to your hand. <laughs> well, it, it follows to where you're illuminating. Yeah, well, you better hope you point it at the right place then. <laughs> I'm assuming that's why these guys are trained for a couple of years before we send them anywhere.
1: Yeah, when the Special Forces guys out go in, they've got glids so they can illuminate a specific target in a yeah. city.
3: Like one one
0: block. One door. One, door. Yeah, one window. <laughs> it's cool stuff, dude. I like hearing yeah, it's, about that.
1: It's, it's just good technology, and it's, it's well-proven. And, and
0: people think about it, and they're like, that's so like malicious, and it's only ever going to hurt someone. But that kind of technology can be translated to so many other things, and I'm sure it already has been.
1: Well, if you look at it, in World War II, we bom- or in Vietnam, we just bombed everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's bad guys in that town. Level it. oh no now we go in surgically and we take out one or two people right yeah you know the military is not in the business of killing people right yeah you know so the military is very surgical about what they do the air force their their harm uh, missiles and their smart bombs they're the same way they can drop a bomb from fifty thousand feet and put it in a garbage can yeah it's pretty cool so they don't, you know, it, it's not near as indiscriminate as it used to be. I mean, yeah. look at the British. They went into Dresden in World War II with firebombs, and they burned the whole city down in one night. Jesus.
0: 60,000 people. That's mm-hmm. Mongolian stuff, bro. Like <laughs> Genghis Khan. <laughs> <It's horrible. coughs> well, that was,
1: that was a world war at that time. You know, you yeah. have to take everything in context, too. You got
0: to. Yeah, that's true. And hopefully that doesn't, that scale of war never brings itself to America. So
1: we've gotten but. better, we've gotten much better at it. And, and we... Good. Most of the Apache work that they do in Afghanistan and Iraq is direct support for troops. Mm. You put the troops on the ground to accomplish the mission, and then you back them up with the... That's good. So if they get in trouble, you can get them out. Right.
0: Boots on the ground, baby.
1: Yep. In Vietnam, we had... uh, intel that was we had lerps long-range reconnaissance patrols Mm. and we we would put them on the ground out on the ho chi minh trail and they would just lay around in the bushes and watch the bad guys go by (laughs) and then report back it's (laughs) an interesting
0: job (laughs) (laughs) really interesting (laughs) Uh, unless you're that guy on the ground (laughs) yeah i guess so but everything
1: is in perspective you know everybody says they the public grabs on this thing or the news media grabs on this well they're doing this and this and this and well you know you got to take a historical context of, a, of what yeah. they're doing it's, yeah it's not what they did in in, in world war ii oh i know yeah. Korea and in, in vietnam are not pertained you know they're not it doesn't apply to what they're doing now. for sure yeah and the equipment's so much better oh yeah you know, Can't the, even compare the, it. Really. The best tank we had in World War II was the Sherman. It had a 105 on it, I think. You know, mm. and, and if you were really good, in about ten shots, you could hit somebody with it. <laughs> <laughs> <You know>. <laughs> <laughs> the, ten shots. The Abrams, they can run at sixty mile an hour mm. and hit a moving target that's going the other way at sixty mile an hour. First shot every time.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you know, we learned physics in, you know, high school. Like, it makes sense. Like, all you got to do is really just calculate the speeds, the difference, how to shoot it. Yeah. It's, I mean, once you know everything in terms of how the calculations would happen, it makes sense that it would only get better.
1: Yeah, because the computers are now to it handle it. They're doing it so fast. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, without computing, we wouldn't have that. You know, it's it's a cool transition. You know, have you ever seen evolution.
1: That, your interest in this kind of stuff? you ever seen that uh, letter put out by... I think it was Lockheed back in the 50s. They were talking about how a, an inertia guidance system works. Mm-mm. They said when we rock, when we shoot the rocket, the inertia guidance system knows where it's at.
0: Mm.
1: As soon as the rocket starts to move, it computes where it should be. So now it moves the rocket to where it should be, but that's not where it should be now. It should be somewhere else. Right. So now it computes where it should have been before you, you yeah, know, yeah, it yeah. Just, yeah. It's right. just this big vicious circle of feedback trying to keep that rocket straight. Yeah you know if you're uh if you had a in the in the 70s if you had a a Seiko uh, or Timex watch that had a, com- a calculator on it mm-hmm. that calculator was bigger than the one the university of Chicago was built in World war 2
0: <laughs> crazy
1: <laughs> your computer that you're sitting right here in front of you has got more c- computing power than the the ones on the uh, that took them to the moon
0: oh yeah for sure even in the, <laughs> yeah. the phone yeah in the phone nowadays, <laughs> you know <laughs> So yeah that that's insane to think had, about. They had they had
3: like a a quarter gig of ram on, yeah, yeah. on shuttle. <laughs> I have
0: like 32 on this thing behind me so. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's, it's just technology has taken off and
3: What's it's it? really amazing. Yeah, I think, yeah, is, I think yeah. that's interesting like in like in your like lifespan, you know, like born on a porch and then, and then like and like now like 2018 well, it's like all technology my dad just
1: died a couple years ago i mean they uh, when he grew up or when he was born in south dakota they didn't have telephones yeah they didn't have indoor plumbing you know the, That's i can crazy. i can remember when my brand, grandparents got a telephone yeah you know i was it two pieces no actually the telephone <laughs> the telephone that they had they lived out in a rural area Mm-hmm. And all the farmers got together and put in their own telephone system, oh. and had one line that went to town. That's pretty cool. And huh. it was all party lines. So <laughs> if you weren't home and your phone rang, your neighbor answered and took a message for you. Oh, that's uh, cool. Yeah. But, but, if good but if you want, and bad, everyone's listening. <laughs> wasn't, you know, wasn't much happening. The <laughs> but if you like, if my grandparents wanted to call my parents in California. They had to call the operator in town and yeah. tell her that they needed to call California. That's so weird. <laughs> and when the one line into Martin was open, then she would make the call uh, yeah. and then call them and say, hey, I've got your party on the line. Uh, that's know? crazy, man. And and that's that's in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's amazing what technology's come. Now you've got a cell phone that tells you where you're at and. it. <laughs> It
3: everybody where you're at, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> and they're okay.
0: about to come out with an update where you can FaceTime 32 people at the same time. Uh, you talk to 32 people in I mean, I thought it was funny control.
3: just, like, on the way here, I was like, let's see where, or it was like we were going to come earlier or whatever, and I, like, just popped on my phone. I was like, oh, Evan's still at his house. I guess we can't go earlier. Yeah, you yeah. Know, <laughs> it's just like, well, I saw one the immediate. other day. They
1: took a brand-new uh, Apple phone and a brand-new, uh, what's the other? Samsung. Samsung, maybe. Yeah. One of those. Yeah, yeah. No SIM cards. yeah. No service. The guy drove around to town and went back, and they they ran it through a computer, and that tra- that phone tracked and downloaded to Google and, and Facebook everywhere that phone had been. Yeah. And it didn't even have a SIM card in it. Yeah. Uh, it's this, crazy. how It's yeah. crazy.
3: Well, the SIM card is just literally, like, it can do all those things without the SIM card. The SIM card is just, like, the passcode for your, like, certain carrier.
1: Yeah, but if a phone isn't even activated, and it, it's
3: tracking it. Yeah, yeah. It's still. It's like the SIM card is just like giving the passcode to like let you use it. I'm, so. I'm
1: not a technology guy. If it was up to me, I mean, I got along for 55 years without a phone in my pocket. I could probably just put it down and.
3: Well, yeah. I, re- I remember when you got Facebook, and it was a, like for me, it was big because you would always like. You're like, I I never get Facebook, <laughs> 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 and then you got it, and now you're not like you can't. I mean, you're just like like any other person well, on it. Well, not really.
1: I, I mean, my phone has got i don't i don't do any business on my phone i don't yeah. have any music on my phone because <laughs> i don't know how to get it on there yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: that is tough I i'll admit know. i mean like we were saying you were born on a porch it's not well, the, like the you grew up <laughs> like we grew up knowing how to do it you yeah, didn't the, is the my first point. cell
1: phone i could go over to my computer and download my music on it i can't do that anymore yeah wow. so there's nothing on my phone Yeah, because
3: your computer isn't like
1: apple i mean i just
3: i mean that i mean that was interesting for me like it like it was because of that like because how he grew up it was i grew up with him okay. so like when everybody had a cell phone like i wait i mean i didn't wait too long i, I waited until i was 14 but like yeah. when i was younger we built this storage room and like it was wild it wasn't my birthday or anything but he like bought a wii You know, and that was like when everybody had the Wii and I came home and like that was so impactful in my life that we named that room the Wii room (laughs) because like (laughs) like, it was the only thing in there. And it's like, I thought like when I was younger, like I didn't have any electronics. The reason I got my first electronic is just because like my doctor prescribed it. What was it? Oh, it was like it was a a Game Game Boy Boy. because like I had to patch my eyes because I was blind in one eye. And the doctor
1: told me he needed a Game Boy. (laughs) <laughs> so on, on whatever that Friday is after Thanksgiving, I got up at four o'clock in the damn, in the morning and went in and stood in that goofy, <laughs> goofy, damn Walmart and got him a Game Boy. I, I just literally haven't been back to Walmart since. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty admirable, actually. <laughs> yeah. Went for a Game Boy and then you haven't been. I go in there about three times a year. That's fair.
0: I'm not a huge fan of Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm it's not pretty a frustrating. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I get mad every time I go in the front door. <laughs> yeah, we, we we go we go to Aldi, so not not big on
0: Aldi's Walmart. an old one, dude. Yeah, it's Aldi weird because like they're not really old around here, but
3: well, I didn't like I didn't know that Aldi was. Up. Yeah, I didn't know Aldi was considered like like affordable. I like because I had never been in there until yeah. literally this year. I what the was thought was Aldi. Exactly, like, I thought I thought Aldi like, was like high end groceries. It's owned
2: by Trader Joe's. Yeah, it's and like it's from like Australia. a cheaper yeah. version.
3: It's supposed to be like affordable food, yeah. and, and I mean it is. It's super cheap, but I thought it was like high end wow. like oh, yeah, we uh, apparently Publix is high
0: end. I, but, I, I
1: eat fast food because I'm lazy because I like can cook everything, and I want to
3: eat better than they can. make.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a I, that's again, admirable grew, for sure.
1: I, up, I I grew up learning to cook. I can cook yeah. anything. Yeah. You know, we've never had a holiday meal in my, f- since I got married 40 years, some years ago that I didn't cook. Yeah.
0: That's baller. I, I cook everything. <laughs> yeah. Cooking birds, cooking meats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm Yard- a big fan of, yeah. you know, we, we make steak. My dad makes steak every Saturday night. We had oh, some last shoot, night. shoot. Really no good. way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> every, every Saturday? Every Hell Saturday. Yeah. That's a household. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we're definitely used to cooking our own meals. And then, you know, we'll have like pasta on Sundays. We grew up Italian, so. Um, big fan of making our own food. I'm, I'm a
3: big fan yeah. of uh,
0: Evan's, gra- Evan's <laughs> grandma, Grandma, <laughs> yeah. grandma Nani. My pet <laughs> Nani. Of
3: all yeah. the
1: people that buy Bisquick to make pancakes. That is just, just <laughs> oh, absolutely yeah. ludicrous to me. Why would you pay by buy Bisquick to make a pancake? I mean, it's baking soda, baking powder, flour, eggs, milk.
3: Ta-da. Yeah, it was, it was, it's real funny because like that's like that's how kind of like I grew up and i like I call I think I call you like three times a year how to make pancakes because I can't remember the recipe <laughs> but like when we were on spring break in Colorado uh, everyone like I was always the one cooking and I don't know I bet I was I got super obnoxious and like Evan can attest to it just because I was like no 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 we can we, we can cook it we don't need these ing- we, don't, we, we don't need this quick <laughs>
0: that's funny
2: yeah, you made like a, oh gosh, what did you make? You made like a I don't remember. stew made a or something. Yeah, 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 yeah goulash <laughs> or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was. It was good. It was good. We, we just threw it all together.
3: Yeah. I'm pretty sure I called him that day
0: too.
1: <laughs> well, you should be able to do basic cooking. Everybody should be
3: able to cook.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At least make a protein. Like it's not hard to make some sort of like make raw meat into eatable meat. <laughs> yeah. like, you can, just triggered <laughs> Andy on this. Shout out Andy. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> that, I don't eat meat. <laughs> some people would
1: go, that chicken wasn't very good, medium rare.
3: Still <laughs> <laughs> a little gooey. Like my
2: chicken. i Like my, chicken, like my chicken pink. <laughs>
0: Uh, good old pink chicken. Pink chicken. Sounds like a band name. <laughs> 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 pink chicken. Um, we hit an hour, boys. Yeah. Um, Let's we can keep going show. if you want, or we can call this one a sewed. Evan sounds like he wants to wrap up. Uh,
3: Evan's so. got big things to do. Big things. <laughs> out of things to talk.
0: About, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it. So. Yeah. It Thanks for coming episode. on. We it. had a good Thank time. You. Uh, enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Thanks.